Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. I am Alex Wilhelm and I am joined this fine week by Danny Crichton, TechCrunch's managing editor. Danny, how are you? I never thought I'd get to a point where I had long hair, but I am thankful because, uh, Alex, it looks like you're not going to get the quarantine buzz whatsoever. (laughs) Danny's making a bald joke, which is totally fine. Valid point. I'll point out he's currently wearing a Stanford sweatshirt, which makes him a complete <laughs> dork. Moving on, we also have Natasha Mascarenas, one of our venture capital reporters. Tosh, how are you? I'm okay before you guys sass me. I'm wearing a shirt that says sass. I'll admit but it. But sass with two S's, not two A's. So, Thankfully. So on spot, but not on spot. Not on spot. Um, and I did my own eyebrows yesterday. Just a few cuts. And that's all I have to share on that front. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no one can see this, but I'm wearing an old Mattermark t-shirt. So we're really quite the quite the three this week. So as an opening note, last week we had a lot of fun because we were kind of back on our old topics. We were kind of focused on private companies and early stage startups. And it was a bit of a, a return to form. Um, sadly, over the last week, the biggest news items haven't quite fit those categories. And instead we have what looks like a relatively long show planned out of the most important things that are impacting private companies. But some of the news is going to be a bit broader, just given where we are kind of in this economic cycle. So bear with us. We're going to get over all the important stuff, talk about a lot of companies that you like, but it's not going to be as series A and B focused as some shows might be. With that in mind, we're going to start with the biggest headline news really the whole week, which was the number of people who have now applied for uh, unemployment relief in the last week which was 6.6 million. Danny, on a scale of one to 10, how shocked were you at the size of that number when it was compared to like your internal guesstimate? Well, I, I've expected the worst for a long time. So, so I was not as surprised. What was surprising is that economists had predicted, I think the median was something like 3.75 million. And at the top end was like five and a half million or something like that. So of the economist poll by Bloomberg, Wall Street Journal, a bunch of other publications, like this blew all the numbers out of the water. So that scares me because I think for a lot of us, you know, one of the economists in the room should have been right on this. And the fact that almost no one got this right is just showing how much we're in uncharted territory. That's a pretty fair read of it. And this kind of brings back into our world because a lot of companies that we cover have been going through, you know, stiff, painful, unfortunate, and kind of bad news layoffs. In fact, it's become a trend of a type of story that we've had to write lately, just you know, who's cutting staff now. And, you know, just to throw a couple out there, you know, Bird laid off a bunch of folks, trip actions, zip recruiter, get around. There's rumors that Airbnb might cut some staff. I mean, Tosh, you and I have covered some news in this category recently. I mean, how have you been approaching the sensitivity of covering layoffs with the importance of the the news items, you know? I think while the numbers are really jarring, I try and start off every email by being like, it is totally okay if you do not want to talk if I'm talking to an employee. Like, I want to give them a way out if they don't want to talk about something super sensitive. Today, we just reported on Modsy, which is a e-commerce site that sells the image of a beautiful home and helps you customize it to like your specific measurements in your living room. And it laid off a significant portion of staff and executives took salary cuts and um, 10 months after they raised a 37 million Series C. And definitely it's just a sad thing to write about. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, especially because you get sent in more details. Like we don't have a confirmed number for the number of layoffs, but uh, people wrote in that it was, I'm, I'm losing the number now. Was it 500, Natasha? Yeah, I heard about 500. There were pay cuts and um, there's also, yeah, other rumors, which we still need to verify. Yeah, so we're still working on the story, but like it's just it, the scale of the carnage is pretty brutal. Aaron Griffith from the New York Times has a, a running Twitter thread of these, and I, I was just going through that prepping for today, 
and I grabbed some numbers from a Thumbtack blog post. They laid off a bunch of staff and they said, quote, no business operates with enough of a buffer to sustain prolonged revenue declines of 40 plus percent without making radical changes. And I think that's a perfectly valid statement. I think a lot of companies could have floated more cash, especially some public companies that are now crying for bailouts, but 40 plus percent declines is insane. I mean, no one has a cost structure for that. So I'm sympathetic to the, the situation that I, I, I hope things get better soon, but I'm, I'm not optimistic about that. And I guess one, you know, bright piece of news just to give a quick plug is that I have seen a bunch of the tech that's being used to make layoff transitions easier or at most connect people to new jobs that have been laid off in mass getting surges. So one company that I knew of is now going to be in a nonprofit format. It's called Silver Lining. Madrona Venture Group in Seattle actually reached out to them and said, you know, our portfolio is going is going through this. They have to be in some rough positions. So how can you help? So, I mean, I don't know how much it's going to help and that's what I'm trying to figure out, but it is good to see like tech that is going to help people find their next job after layoffs, getting some attention from VC firms and money too. Yeah, I've been impressed by how much the tech community has really, you know, kind of galvanized together to help create products. We looked at candor.co who put together a hiring freeze list. We've had a, a bunch of job boards from nonprofits, for-profits. It seems like a bunch of people are kind of coming together and saying, hey, how do we recycle You know, even if we have to lay off 20% of people, they're good people. We, you know, it was hard to hire any of these folks in any of these startups. And so who else can they go? And, you know, there are companies with cash. There are companies with open roles. And so you're, you're just seeing in, in my ways a recycle, which is great. I don't think we're seeing so far a dot-com where, you know, some folks are going to be out of work for, for years, at least in the tech industry. I mean, we definitely hope not. Just to throw one more name into the mix of people that are trying to make things better. Zira, which is Zira, Z-I-R-A dot A-I. They have a new program called Bounce Back. I had a call with them a day or two ago. I'm hopefully going to write about it tomorrow if I have time, which is a set of information for both employers and employees, a way to stay connected if they get laid off. This is for frontline employees and a set of like local resources and just like steps to like, how do you get help if you need it? And I, I, it's great to hear so many people kind of pulling together. I mean, tech can move quickly. It's great to see them move quickly on this. It's uh, the number of layoffs is going to keep going up. I, I don't know how we're going to kind of quantify this, but it's been, it's been rough to watch. Let's, let's take the really embarrassing business take on this for one second and ask about m and I'm curious if we think we're going to see a bit more m and of an opportunistic nature, given that a lot of companies are going to be in some cash flow issues. Like, are we going to see more startups bought? Are we going to see everyone clamped down? I don't, this is probably, Danny, this is probably your specialty, but what do you expect to see in the next like six months? What I've seen so far is most companies are kind of sloughing off like 10 to 30% of their workforces, right? So they're not shutting down. They're not collapsing. You know, uh, many of them maybe were overextended, but you know, we're poised for growth, right? They expected another round to come in. They were expecting more revenues. And so, you know, their, their employee accounts were wildly out of sync. We're going to get to WeWork in a second to talk about places where companies <laughs> oh, well, were wildly <laughs> out of sync. But most of these places were, you know, they're good companies, right? They have revenues, they have customers customers, users, everything's kind of working together. So, you know, I think the question is, is like, yeah, so there are going to be some talent acquisitions. There's going to be some M&A. You know, the, the big business right now is restructuring. You know, a lot of places took on debt. They took on a lot of structure, right? And so I think uh, Connie, one of our co-editors here, had a piece recently talking about how some of the restructuring firms in Silicon Valley are just having the, the phone is just ringing off the hook. I mean, it's just, hey, can we move that debt payment back a couple of months? Can we do, do that? That to me is where a lot of the action is. In six to 12 months, you're going to see the companies that don't, aren't able to raise funding. You know, everyone who needed to raise funding in the next three to six months probably locked it in or they are going to die right now. 
but it's going to be the six to 12 month period where you're saying, hey, can we raise that next round at a price that we like, or are we just going to sell off? Yeah. The more good good works we can see in a, in a bad business climate is going to be good for both the humans and just my general psyche. Because it's, totally. it's really sad to read the news lately. Everything sucks all at once. Uh, and we went from so quickly this risk on environment to this insane risk off moment. And it's just, it's brutal. We can't talk about struggling companies without WeWork and Oyo. They have been perennial staples of this podcast for years now. Danny, why don't I take Oyo really quick and then you can grab WeWork and we can move on with life. Okay. <laughs> Oyo, which is a India-based low-cost hotel chain slash startup. A lot of money went into it. Some weird transactions later on in its life that boosted its valuation very high. There was some weird debt involved. It's one of those companies that you're always kind of like, eh. Uh, Many media reports about some people not getting paid, some cost cutting, really just a company that had some red flags around it. Unsurprisingly, spent too much money, lost too much money, and is now struggling in the new world. Last week, they furloughed the majority of their UK staff. We are hearing 200 out of 300, which is two thirds. The CEO is going to stop taking a salary. The executive team is probably going to take a 25 to 50% cut. That's becoming a theme that we're seeing all around this. You know, if you lay off staff, you better cut your executive salaries. And then let's go over to WeWork now because there's more bad news. Yeah, WeWork. Um, so back in October 2019, you know, when WeWork was kind of coming to the end, you know, the public markets had kind of closed off and there's sort of this massive cash crunch. WeWork came in with sort of, I would call it the bailout, the, the pre-bailout, right? Like not the economic bailout, but like their own bailout, the SoftBank version of, of a company bailout. And, and they offered a, a tender offer of $3 billion to a lot of the, the major shareholders. And the idea was like, look, get all these people out of the way give them secondary, let them buy out of the, a lot of their shares. SoftBank's going to take a huge stake in the company, and they're going to basically fix the balance sheet. And, and as part of those conditions, six months later, that was October 2019, six months later in April, um, they had a couple of closing conditions, which was like, the business is in good shape. There's no major clause problems. There's no challenges to the business whatsoever. Basically, all this got solved, and they're going to get their paid their money. SoftBank dropped, I believe, was it today or yesterday, that they're not going to follow through on the $3 billion tender offer, saying that there were six conditions that were not met according to the original agreement with the company, and that they're literally just going to renege. They're walking away from the table. So even though I think they have more than $14 billion at stake in WeWork, I mean, they're, they're certainly WeWork's largest backer in terms of capital, at least for Travis and Benchmark folks. If you remember the, the, the outrage a couple of months ago, the, uh, but not Travis. Adam. Adam. <laughs> We're not going to cut this out, by the way. We're going to leave it in and bleep that. It's going to be tremendous. I'm so excited. Our like, producer merge. is literally grinning right now behind merge. his beard. Okay, Adam, Adam Adam Newman. Adam Newman, when he left, a lot of people were outraged because similar to Travis Kalanick, you know, kind of got this this bailout. He he walked away with a billion bucks despite building a company that was was built as a house of cards, literally. But now it looks like he's not getting the cash, at least as of now. So the question is, is you know, what's sort of next? It sounds like there's going to be a legal battle. SoftBank has already hinted that they expect the board to sue them. So we're we're poised and ready to go to what happens next there. Again. A lot of condolences to the individual employees, the families of those people impacted. Zero pity for the executives who screwed everything up. And if you're a SoftBank shareholder, uh, I think you're having a. I think shares went up in SoftBank after they this kind of broke that they weren't going to drop three billion on secondary WeWork shares. And by the way, I think 14 billion is more than the value of WeWork, so you know this hasn't gone particularly well. Okay, let's move on. Um, Tosh, you weren't on this show back when Luck and Coffee was was blowing up i'm curious are, how familiar are you with luck and coffee like right now all i remember was you frantically typing when it filed it's s1 and that was okay. it <laughs> i use you as my focus group there because I, I don't know if everyone is super familiar with this relatively 
I don't know, not erudite, but um, what's the word for like uh, far, far away? Uh, remote. There you go. Coffee chain in China. So Luckin Coffee, if you if you don't know, we'll catch you up, is a fast growing, mostly delivery and takeout focused coffee chain in China. It raised tons of money. It grew like hell. It went public in, I think it was early 2019. And it has been a fascinating story to watch because it has been an example of how blitz scaling can work. Turns out, though, as we learned this week, that's not true because they lost 75% of their share value on Thursday, give or take, after they reported an enormous amount of fraud. So, so, and we're going to pause and let Danny tell us why he knew this was coming because he already told me that he thought that he knew it was coming. So, Danny, how are you our oracle today? Well, I, I you know, look, there's a certain scale, particularly when you're dealing with real estate, right? This is a real estate company. At the end of the day, it's delivery, it's physical, it's people. And, and this is a company that in, in like, what, two, three years went from no locations to beating Starbucks in the second largest economy in the world. And, and look, there's a, some, a certain level of like unbelievability to this. Like all of us, I mean, you and I used to joke about this on the show. We, I wrote at least three or four posts on this. You wrote Times on it. It was just kind of nuts. And it not only debuted, but it debuted on NASDAQ. It raised 650 million from investors on its IPO at a relatively high valuation. And so everything was going fine. Last week, the company announced that they were going to hire two new independent board directors, both of whom were going to join the audit committee. And, you know, whenever you see like multiple hires at the same time on a board, something is amiss, right? Like, let me give you another example. We don't know what's going on. And I'm not saying it's fraud or anything, but like Facebook had three or four board directors switch over in just the last couple of weeks. What's going uh -huh. on there? Why? Why is there always this turnover? So, so Luckin sort of dropped this last, well, late last week. So we were kind of were monitoring it. And then, and then we heard today, it's like, oh, there's fraud. The company's accusing its former COO, uh, Jian Lu, of, of basically overstating revenues by $300 million, overstating an unspecified number of expenses related to that revenue, and has basically said that all filings it's ever done publicly are basically falsified. We can't use them at all. So we're not actually quoting, uh, we're not going to quote on the show any of the numbers because at this point we don't even know what the numbers are. The company doesn't even know what the numbers are. And so they've hired Kirkland & Ellis, one of the prominent U.S.-based firms, and global firms to to investigate this and they're going to report in the next couple of months but what a shock i mean it's not a shock but it's just like it's so great when you're like oh come on like what was your sound effect you just did there i was like uh huh huh like that's what we just heard on this company and it, it feels nice to be gratified two years later on equity that we were right my, my question here and this might be because i am optimistic at heart is like how did they get this far with reporting false numbers just get so far get such a great story ahead of them i don't I know I, I I'm impressed. I'm always impressed by by fraud because it's always so gutsy to just lie so much. Like I, I want to do a quick chronology because if you go to the Luckin Coffee Investor Relations page and look at just their 2020 announcements, there's an amazing story in these. I'm gonna read them starting January 10th and go up in time. And this is gonna take about 30 seconds, so please patience with me. <laughs> okay. So January 10, Luckin Coffee announces pricing of upsized follow-on public offering. January 10th, the same day, Luckin Coffee announces pricing of $400 million convertible senior notes. January 14th, Luckin Coffee closes offering of $400 million convertible series senior notes. January 14th, Luckin Coffee announces completion of follow-on public offering. January 17th, Luckin Coffee announces full exercise of option by the underwriters to purchase additional shares. February 3rd, Luckin Coffee responds to anonymous report containing misleading and false allegations. That report said there was fraud. March 27th, Luckin Coffee announces appointment of two independent directors. April 2nd, fraud. 
So they just sold minutes ago, huge amounts of stock. They were trying to raise debt on the auspices of fraud. And that's why the story is so amazing. It isn't like, Tosh, this is like, you know, 10 years into the company. They just went public. They were still getting more cash on the basis of this fraud minutes ago. That's crazy. Amazing. Terrible, but amazing. I think the question is, I mean, you know, unlike WeWork, where I think, you know, the underlying business model is really challenging. I mean, Luckin did drop into something really interesting. So I think one of the big questions, you know, if you're on the stock market right now, the stock just went down 80% or 76% today on close mm-hmm. or almost close as we're recording this Thursday. But I think one of the big questions is, is like, there's still a business here. Delivery Coffee was clearly really popular. They have a popular app. They're a huge brand, actually popularizing coffee in a very tea-focused culture. And I think one of the questions is, is like, do you believe that 300 million is sort of the extent of the fraud? Because if you do, it's actually probably a really cheap stock today. The question is, is like, how much fraud is there? And I think uh, that's going to be a really interesting story to, to follow up on in the next couple of months. I'm, I'm so fascinated to know if the, if the F1, which is a, a foreign S1 filing, is, is, is real. That, that was my first thought. Cause I went back to the F1 prepping for this and I was just like, oh, this is so impressive. Look at all this growth. And then my, my second thought was, what if this is also trash? So let's put luck and coffee aside. We will return to this as we know more. The point is, I think a few weeks ago, I said that some companies can scale really quickly. Look at luck and coffee. So it turns out, no. All right. We're going to talk about Zoom. If you don't use Zoom, I don't know why you're listening to Equity. I think probably every single person who listens to this show uses Zoom, so you know what it is. We have some numbers talked about how much they've grown, and I was hoping you could walk us through kind of their growth in the last, gosh, I guess like three, four months. Zoom has been this video service that's grown from just being something you use nine to five to what you use for like church on Sundays and school and after work for work happy hours. And we'll get into what that impact is, but the news is that it jumped to 200 million daily active users when it was at 10 million daily active users just in December. That is insane. And that obviously, I think, begged for journalists, for people to start seeing the cracks. I don't know if Zoom was prepared to be this software that everyone would use beyond just their daily work meetings. Well, can we pause and talk about the DAU growth? Because I want to put that into context for everybody. So so going from 10 to 200 of anything, 20x growth is, is, is bonkers. But keep in mind that Microsoft just got plaudits from the media, including from me, for going from 20 million Microsoft Teams DAUs in November to 44 million in uh, March. So they went a little bit over 2x in more time than it took Zoom to go 20x. That's the scale of the growth here. They, they went huge. I don't think we're going to see Zoom's revenue go up 20x, but I think we're going to see Zoom's revenue accelerate dramatically. And they said in their last earnings report that they're going to have some gross margin erosion to pay for this. I think it might be more gross margin erosion than we expected, given that usage is cat, you know, nearly catastrophically up. Points to them for not going down, by the way. Like, talk about reliability. Zoom bombing, though, Tosh. What, this is a new like TechCrunch coined uh, phenomena. What's going on? Yeah, so this phenomenon that is Zoom bombing is basically bad actors coming onto your Zoom call and showing a variety of things on the lighter side of scene porn, but on the heavier side, my friend actually let me know yesterday that she was on a call and they had like live streamed a video of a live shooting, which is crazy and absurd. And I'm like, how do people have time for this right now and energy to do this? And that's kind of obviously become even more of a concern as Zoom is now used in, I think, about 90,000 schools across the world. So students like are very easily easy targets. Zoom didn't come out with a statement saying that they are 
you know, changing the settings for people enrolled in the K through 12 program. But it does just show you some of the cracks that was built into this platform that wasn't meant to maybe yet be used for mass adoption overnight. I think that's a pretty good summary. We've also seen racist attacks and, and all sorts of really gross things. It's been pretty bad. I mean, even um, yesterday or the day before, Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, actually sent a screenshot of his Zoom. He was holding a cabinet meeting for the UK ministers, which, first of all, is amazing because I'm looking at like my cabinet meeting for equity right now. And it's like amazing that the prime minister of the UK is using the exact same software with the same boxes, <laughs> the same like compression algorithm. Everyone look, looks just a little bit blurry. But then he had the meeting ID like in the screenshot. And so if you were on Twitter, you could actually track down what is the meeting ID of the cabinet of, of the UK. So so I think it's one of those things where, look, obviously Zoom has now expanded way beyond it ever intended. You know, they would never have launched. They wouldn't have onboarded this way if they had known what was coming. I think obviously with a lot of free users, um, there's going to be some pain points, not only entering new markets that the software wasn't prepared for, but also, you know, how to onboard users who didn't go through IT training, that doesn't have the right security defaults. You know, we were recording equity, but we have a password on this. We have an undisclosed meeting ID. You're not getting in. Sorry, equity readers. Uh, but you can come to Extra Crunch. We every, every once in a while, we let people in. <laughs> Otherwise, we try to keep Alex's book collection a, a secret from, from uh, the world. I, <laughs> sorry, I, I got totally derailed by that comment. I was like, I like my books. Anyways, I think what Zoom is doing, though, I think they announced like a feature freeze. They're going to spend like 90 days working on like security and improving the product and all that. Points. Points for that. Like one, points for not going down because we, we all use them. Two, points for letting everyone come on for free, not locking down for usage. In fact, making it more easy to get. And three, points for, um, you know, a little bit late, but clearing up some of the privacy stuff. I mean, I can't get that mad at them. It's a business product that everyone started to use in a consumer sense. So I, I hear all the privacy complaints. I think they're all very valid. But the way Zoom is approaching this, I, I struggle to get too mad at them. I was gonna I was gonna take some points back from Zoom, but I do I do like the positive note and I do appreciate that they are doing the 90 day freeze. Was happy to see that. I, I just wanted to note that I saw this New York Times article that Zoom had like basically given people access to their LinkedIn profiles of other people on the call. So it basically like se secretly displayed data of other members on your call. So like, let's say we're all on a conference call with our viewers. Even if our viewers put a different name, Zoom would somehow be able to give us their LinkedIn profile. Long story short, after they, after the Times inquired it, it, Zoom said that they would take back the data mining feature. But the fact that it was there in the first place is a little shady. Just give, taking some points back, but happy, happy that it's there. Happy I can talk to my family. <laughs> Totally valid. I mean, I think they had a Facebook tracker built in as well. They also took out. So, I mean, my question is, if Zoom was doing this, is every other piece of software leaking that much of my data back to all the major platform players? Probably. That's not great. But let's <laughs> let's move on to a couple of funding rounds because uh, this is what we do on the show most weeks. Notion, which if you haven't heard of it, is a uh, kind of like a hybrid personal productivity suite, I think, something like that. I don't use it personally. They just raised $50 million at a $2 billion valuation, which means they sold like, uh, like what is it, like 2.5% of the company, 5% of the company for uh, for $50 million, which is an insanely good transaction. I'm, I'm curious, Danny, when you saw these numbers, did you think that the investors did well or the company did better? I think I think Notion is one of these one-of-one -one companies. I mean, it, it hits a very popular product thesis that I think a lot of the cons more consumer-oriented VCs really love. So Sarah Cannon uh, Index led that round. And according to article in the New York Times, she's been tracking that for 18 months. And I think a lot of VCs were sort of in the same ballpark. It is a unique piece of software, right? So it, it's hard to describe, but basically it's a fusion of 
a variety of other pieces of software. So it has notes, it has spreadsheets, it has a little bit of a CRM component. So like if you're on a team and you're like, hey, we have like 20 customers, we need to track some things. We also have some notes about those customers. It kind of can all integrate that into one place. And, you know, if you're using Google Docs or Office 365, you know, your notes, your docs, and your spreadsheets are all separate and they can't be connected. And so Notion says, hey, let's bring that together. It's a lot better product. It's also all online and all interactive. The question is, is like this funding round's really bizarre to me. So I, I don't know the answer here, but I'm just going to speculate that with 50 million, my guess is it's secondary. I haven't seen this, but I can't imagine any firm doing a round that is two and a half percent. I, I didn't, I'm not doing the math. No, the math's right. It is two and a half percent. Oh, good, I, good, good. The math after I, I am actually talking. a math yeah. major, but I'm not doing the math. I'm just, I'm just yelling into a microphone right now. But, you but can't, you, know, you can't wear a Stanford shirt and say you're a math major and not <laughs> kind of be trying to show off. Keep going. <laughs> um, but what, what was interesting to me is like, look, 50 million on 2 billion. And what we learned, at least uh, from, from Alex Conrad and his co-writer at Forbes, um, they sourced that they have a current uh, ARR of $30 million which if you do that into the 2 billion, again, I'm not doing the math there, but Alex can do the math because he's a philosophy major and he can do logic. It's 66.7x. That's I think a I heavy forward operating, you know, forward multiple. So so I think the question is, is like, was this secondary? Was this primary ca- capital onto the balance sheet? I, I don't know the answer. It just seems like a very, very, very bizarre deal to be doing. I have thoughts about this. I just learned some things from Danny. I'm not going to talk about them. I didn't know Sarah Cannon led the round. She's smart. That makes me like the round more. Two, the company, I think it was per Forbes, uh, was, quote, makes money profitable. Now, we don't know if that's free cash flow positive, adjusted EBITDA positive, gap net income positive. There's various ways to call it, to use profitable. But the company, I presume, has a very aggressive growth rate and doesn't lose money. And in the current market, those are the two best things to have in, in, you know, with one another. So they, they have a pretty attractive profile. And, I mean, I know that in the Times piece, I believe that Aaron Griffith noted that they have 10 years of runway. And I want to unpack that as well. Like, do we believe that? And what does that mean? Because it sounds absurd. The last, uh, we we had a piece, I think Lucas, uh, our colleague Lucas, uh, wrote a piece on them a couple of uh, months ago. And um, what was surprising to me, it actually has a very similar kind of trajectory of of WhatsApp. It's actually a very small engineering team. If I recall, I'm doing this purely top of mind, but if I recall, it's something like 18 engineers and like 10 other in support and customer and sales. And so for a company, if if they truly are on 30 million run rate, they have roughly the same employee base. That's a, you know, let's say it's a half million to a million AOR per employee. Like that's not bad. Not not only not bad, it's really good. That's my cynicism kicking. (laughs) You know, know, that's probably getting up to Zoom's level of like suddenly we have a million users per employee. But to me, it was like actually a really efficient company. So I can actually believe the runway number. And that might be one of the arguments for the 50 million is to say, hey, we don't actually need the money. We're doing super well. We're going to be very, very precise. And uh, but the question is for me and and for Sarah and Index is like, look at a 2 billion post. You got to believe that this is going to sell either to Google or, or Microsoft into docs, or it's going to become an IPO'd company. And you know, I'm not against that. I, I, I don't disagree, but you're, you're already at a 2 billion post in this market. It is a remote work tool, so I think it might actually do super well now. But you know, the, there, there's some headway risk there to me. Yeah, but I mean, think about like the, the growth rate. If it's growing 100%, right? In a year's time, it would be at 60 million ARR. And then it's uh, multiples 33.3, which is still high. But you know, like not too long ago, there were public companies trading at that at that multiple. Zoom is currently valued, I think, at a higher revenue multiple. Now, these are, of course, the toppiest top end right. of ARR multiples. But 
if it goes up another 100%, then it's 120, and all of a sudden it's kind of in like the 15 range. It makes some sense. and But it's definitely a long-term bet. And to tie up 50 million in this company, this relatively smaller ARR stage, if that number bears out, we don't have that dashboard in front of us to see the current ARR figure. But I can kind of make this work in my head a little bit. But it definitely, though, like many things have to go right in a row for this to kind of pay off. Uh, but, you know, for Notion... Hell of a great day. Sold two and a half percent of the company, got 10 years of runway, do whatever you want, grow, you know, or just buy several llamas, paint them up, you know, whatever. You can do anything. So I understand it. Um, Before we go, though, can we do uh, these two quick uh, new venture capital rounds? Because I want to make sure we, we hit on those before we let everyone go. Arch Venture Partners and General Catalyst. Danny, can you walk us through Arch? Yeah, I, mean, I'll, I can walk through, through both. I mean, I'm competent enough to handle news, apparently. You know, to give a context going back, so 2018 was the, the year of the mega round. I believe there's more than, what was it, 18 or 20 mega rounds, which is defined as more than 1 billion for a fund. And, and 2019 was, was the second highest year on record. We just had two mega funds ra- raised in the last couple of days. So Arch Venture Partners raised $1.46 billion across two funds. They're focused on the biotech world. And obviously, you know, not just, uh, clearly they weren't fundraising because of coronavirus, but, you know, talk about an amazingly opportunistic time where you just raised a bunch of biotech kind of medical clinical funding. You're going into this market with a full war chest. So, so kudos to them. And uh, the other firm, uh, General Catalyst, which disclosure was a former employer all those seven years ago. So at some point, one has to wonder what, what point the, the, does that expire? But uh, kudos to them because they raised $2.3 billion, which has to be one of the largest fundraisers I've seen. NEA did a huge round. I know we had, what was it? Um, Sequoia's also raised, Kleiner's in the process. A bunch of folks are raising big rounds, but they've closed $2.3 billion across three funds, $600 million in an early stage fund, a billion dollars in what they're calling... I guess a growth fund, but only for companies at a certain revenue point. So 10 million of recurring revenue. And then they're doing something called a $700 million endurance fund, which I frankly have no idea what it is. Endurance fund is like an opportunity fund, but for like companies with grit. I don't know what that means. Because people who run really far and they keep keep running. I, I don't know. It's but not like an ultra here, marathon But fund. it's nice because whatever whatever the endurance fund's thesis is, because we don't know, 700 million is, is great if you believe in that thesis. So, you know, kudos to them because... You know, obviously closing closing anything at all from the LPs right now is, is super tough. I was excited to see one billion going into the growth fund because from the VCs I've talked to, like that are predicting what they're going to be seeing in the next couple of months, I think everyone's saying that it's the later stage companies that are going to be having a harder time raising capital. They have to prove, you know, unlike an early stage company, which you can kind of bet on risk, later stage companies kind of have their numbers all out there. So I was excited to see just hope for them. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. So it turns out the Endurance Fund, Chris, our producer, did the research for us on the show, and he just told me that it's uh, to back large companies doing more than $100 million in sales. Okay. So there's the growth fund for eight, sorry, uh, yeah, eight-figure ARR, and the Endurance Fund for nine-figure ARR. In the old days, you would just go public, but today, there's a whole fund just for you. Well, what's interesting at that scale is if you're talking about $100 million in sales, not revenue, very precise, I, I, just following the notes here, but, but uh, sales, not revenue. Or, or recurring revenue. What's interesting is that that price and that those valuations you would expect for a hundred million dollar sales company, like seven hundred million, is not a lot of bets, right? Like that's not twenty no. bets. It's probably not even ten bets. It's maybe only two or three bets, right? You know, for some of those companies, they might be worth five or ten billion bucks. Unfortunately, seven hundred million doesn't actually go that far. Uh, no, it doesn't. But the show has gone far enough, and we'll now come to a conclusion. Uh, we're a little bit over time, uh, kind of as expected, uh, given the scale of news. We do leave a lot of stuff behind. We want to talk about Danny's denominator piece, how to value startup that I wrote. There's a, a number of other rounds. Tosh wrote about Hio. I mean, there's there's just so much news. 
Um, so we'll do our best to hit on all the stuff we can on the show. But um, until next week, uh, we're out of here. So everyone stay safe and uh, a big hug from us. Okay. Jazz also making cookies. That'll take one more minute. Oh my God. Jem. Chip cookies. Showing off. I know. Totally <laughs> showing off. Why are you showing <laughs> off? It's like, I'm sorry. It'll be you a couple get it. Your partner's the best. It's okay. You don't have to rub it in our face. <laughs> I wish that was my ever excuse. <laughs> Sorry, there's cookies being made in the background. Sorry, my badass partner is making me delicious cookies. Just one second. Over here being pampered.